Please turn in your Bibles with me to Jeremiah uh, chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, there's a Bible in the pew rack if you don't have one, um, and if you don't know where that is, how to find it, if you're using that pew Bible, there's the page number in the order of service. Uh, I'm sure somebody else could help you find that if they're right down the road, they'd love to do that. Last week, of course, we finished our series going through First and Second Thessalonians, and we won't start a new series uh, until the Sunday after Labor Day, which I will remind you once more, Sunday after Labor Day, September 12th, we'll start back to our old pre-COVID schedule, Sunday school at 8.30, intermission at 9.30, worship stays at the same time at 10 o'clock. Um, but I want to give you, so we'll not start a new, we won't start a new series till September 12th, but I want to give you just a little bit of a preview today before we get into our sermon for uh, this morning. Uh, as I thought about what to do for the fall, Typical, you know, if we've been in the New Testament, I think about going to the Old Testament for the next series and, and uh, thinking about family camp and, and uh, Dr. Pennington talking to us about the wisdom of Christ. Uh, that was in my mind. I wanted to do, also wanted to do something uh, that would be accessible to new people as we really do uh, prayerfully want to see the gospel speed ahead uh, in our community uh, and among us. Uh, this fall. And so we're trying to connect with more folks, trying to get people back into church or maybe for the first time. And many people we, we know are searching in this very confused world. So after uh, a lot of thought and, and prayer, uh, settled on this as a theme, you'll see it up on the screen, wise words, lessons from Proverbs. So each week we're going to, in the, this fall, we're going to look at a different topic different issue, relational issues like friendship or marriage, resolving conflict, emotional issues like anger or envy, practical issues like work, money, uh, living with contentment. Uh, we'll just, we'll take, just every week we'll just take three, maybe four Proverbs, um, just a few handful of verses to, to start to build a God-centered view of life and to begin to put that into practice and to make gospel connections along the way. Now, we think that this could be a great entry point for someone, again, new to the Bible, new to Christianity, new to church. And so um, we're printing some, some uh, oversized postcards that we're going to, with this picture and some information about the series, and we're going to send that, we're going to mail that to every mailing address in the uh, Mount Morris zip code, 61054, but we'll make some extra copies for you if you live, whatever community or neighborhood you live, if you'd want to hand deliver those to neighbors to invite to come with you for that, uh, that series. Um, I hope you'll be thinking, praying even now. Those cards will be available uh, maybe next Sunday by, by uh, Labor Day weekend at the latest. Um, and so we hope you'll be praying, thinking about who you could invite to come with you. And if you live in Mount Morris, you, that, that could be a conversation starter. Did you get this in the mail? That's my church. We're doing this. You should come. All right, short passages like the Proverbs give us, uh, you know, force us really to slow down, to think, to reflect, and hopefully apply God's Word. And that's what we're going to do this morning in, not in the Proverbs, but in another short text. Uh, it's, it's just two verses, Jeremiah 23 and 24. If you've been in my Sunday school class this summer, um, we, you may remember looking briefly at this passage um, a few weeks ago, I, I said it was one of my favorites. I'm looking forward to spending more time in this with you today. Uh, so I, it's just two verses. So I'd like to, us to read this aloud together. And just in case you're not looking at the same English translation in the Bible that you brought with you, um, why don't you look up at the screen and we'll read this aloud together. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Together, 
Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Amen. This is God's word for us today. Now, you may have heard it said many times, it's not, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And this is kind of going in the same direction. Here's the theme for our sermon today. The best thing about you is not what you have but who you know. That's simple, right? The best thing about you is not what you have, but who you know. Two verses, two parts to the sermon. Here we go. Here's part one, and this is verse 23. Resist the temptation to revel in your assets. And we're going to reflect on this by thinking through these couple of questions to tease this out. What makes you special, and why do you want to highlight these things? Now, some of you might be thinking, hold, hold, hold on, Pastor Roos, hold on. I'm not wise, I'm not mighty, and I'm not rich, so it doesn't apply to me, right? Um, actually, there are a few reasons why we should apply this to each and every one of us, but it would be good to, in order to think about, does this apply to you? Of course, we, we want to start with uh, some of the context that we have in Jeremiah. We're just, we're just kind of parachuting into these two verses, just a little bit about what's going on uh, in Jeremiah, who is God talking to through Jeremiah, and why does he say this? Well, the Lord had called Jeremiah uh, to be a prophet and sent him to the nation of Judah, Jeremiah's own people, uh, the southern kingdom of Israel. And he was warning them about the coming invasion of mighty Babylon, the, the evil empire of the day. And, and that invasion, though, for Judah would come not just as a uh, sad fact of geopolitical history, it would be as the punishment of God because of Judah's sin. That is why uh, Jeremiah is coming. And all that sin started, in some sense, with their leaders. Uh, let me just read two verses from Jeremiah chapter 2. This is Jeremiah 2, verses 7 and 8. And this is, this is the Lord doing a little history thinking about bringing the people out of Egypt to Israel. He says, And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? Meaning the priests did not seek the Lord. The priests did not say, say Where is the Lord? The, uh, those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, false god, and went after things that do not profit. And, and shepherds here in this passage does not refer to literal herdsmen of livestock. In the Bible, it's often a metaphor for leaders, uh, people that, that, that shepherd, that uh, look after groups of people, and often specifically of kings. So it's being described here in Jeremiah 2, 7 and 8 that I just read, being described here is, is moral and uh, spiritual failure of leadership. Prophets, priests, kings who did not seek God, who did not 
know God, who in fact turned away from God. And we too are living in a time of great cultural and political upheaval, and there seems to be plenty of reasons to criticize the elites, the ruling class of politicians and military leaders and public health officials. And, and, and so we might come to Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 and assume it's just for the ruling class, the, the wise, the mighty, and the rich. They're the problem. But here's why we need to pay attention and examine ourselves. First reason, sin never stays. Sin might be led by the leaders, but it never stays among the leaders. If you look just at the beginning of the chapter that we're in, uh, Jeremiah 9, look at verses 1 through 6. Jeremiah says, Oh, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the desert a traveler's lodging place, that I might leave my people and go away from them, for they are all adulterers, a company of treacherous men. They bend their tongue like a bow, like a bow and arrow bends. They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. Let everyone beware of his neighbor, And put no trust in any brother, for every brother is a deceiver, and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity, heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon upon deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. The corruption was not only in the leadership, It showed itself in, those verses say, in every brother, every neighbor. And at the root of this moral and ethical crisis was a spiritual rebellion. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. Sin among leaders doesn't stay there. That's that's the first reason that we need to apply this to ourselves. The second reason to apply this to us, wisdom, might, and riches are relative. Now, what I mean by that is, uh, you might, you, you and I might not be wise, mighty, or rich compared to people. Some many people that live in Chicago or or New York, D.C. or L.A. Uh, but you might be smarter, or stronger, or more well off than other kids in your class, or people that live on your street, or maybe some other people in this room. And so because all of our assets in this sense, uh, all our gifts and possessions and, yes, money, but also uh, physical abilities and and brain power, all these assets are relative. We're all probably smarter, stronger, uh, richer than someone else. That means we're also all susceptible. We know this. We're all susceptible to do what the Lord says we should not. Uh, Don't boast in these things. So, We do need to give this our attention. This is for us. Now, explain one more thing here. The word translated uh, in the English Standard Version here as boast. Uh, For us, in our culture, boast, that just has an automatic negative connotation, right? It means like the idea of bragging about yourself, really, really puffing yourself up. 
Um, but the, the Hebrew word that is here translated as boast in, in our English translations is, is not exclusively negative. In fact, uh, it's, it's, it is used often for praising, uh, for celebrating, exalting. And I mean, just even in the next verse, verse 24, it's using boast in a positive sense. So it's not necessarily negative. The issue here, and so don't, when we're talking about boasting here, don't automatically think of some kind of chest thumping, trash talking, uh, you know, egomaniac like, like many professional athletes. It's not, we're not in that vein right now. Um, think about what are the things that, that you have that make you stand out? And again, I mean, you might not be a superstar, but something that, that, that kind of like, you know what, I, I think I'm pretty good at this. Or I kind of I kind of like this about I, I'm I've got some ability here. Um, th- th- these things that are your strengths, your assets, something that that you feel you're good at. What's good about you? Hmm. So you can think about uh, what skill you might have. And again, let's keep this uh, at a at a nice common level here. We're not talking about anything you know uh, splitting the atom here. We're just you know stuff like you know, you know how to tinker with an engine and get something that doesn't work, get, get, gets it back running again. Or maybe your, your, uh, your super skill is, you know, being able to decorate your home and, and, and dress in style from things that you found at Goodwill, that, and nobody can believe that that's where you got it. Maybe that's your skill. Maybe, would it be your GPA that you're proud of, or your, uh, your position on the team, or your role in the play? Maybe it's your sales figures for the last quarter. Well, skills, but what, what stuff, what stuff do you have? What stuff makes you think, having this makes me feel good about myself? Your, might be your house, the car you drive, your boat, or if you're a kid, maybe it's a new bike or your first smartphone. Could be your wardrobe, your, your own sense of personal fitness, or just the fact that you're really good at telling a joke. Think, what makes you special. What's good about you? Do you have something in mind? Now, I, I, think, I think that all of us, if we're honest, we have something that we like to, that, that we like, yeah, you know, I feel good about this. I, I, like, I like people to see this side of me. Um, but then some of us, I know, and I, we need to address the fact that I'm sure some of us are feeling like, I, there's nothing that I feel good about. I feel like I'm just a one failure after another. I don't, I don't like. I don't like me. I, I, I feel like there's nothing good about me. I, there's no best foot uh, that I have to put forward. It, it, well, I, I want you to uh, know that that this passage is for you too. That there's something for you. But I, I need you to hold with me for a moment. This passage does not leave you out, and uh, and you're not forgotten. But just uh, we'll, we'll come back to that issue. For now, though, we're asking, for, for all the assets that, that you feel like you have, uh, why, do you, why do you want to highlight these things? So what's good about you? What's special about you? What makes you special? Why do you want to highlight these things? Well, you could say, again, in the best sense of boasting as possible, right? The, the positive side, not the negative, proud, arrogant side, but the, the the, the positive side of just, hey, like this is something good. Don't we, celeb- don't we rightly celebrate excellence and achievement? I mean, we don't, we don't hold the Olympics to watch slow, out-of-shape people run. No, nobody wants to turn on the TV to watch ignorant people play Jeopardy. 
No, like, or, or you know, we, we go to the movies to see incredibly beautiful people in amazingly beautiful places. That's why we go to the movies, because we all hunger for glory. That's why we love to see amazing feats of uh, athletic prowess. That's why we love to see people who are incredibly creative do amazing uh, things and, and, do, uh, and, and perform uh, amazing, uh, beautiful music, powerful music. That's why we, we want to see uh, stories that go beyond the mundane. There's a hunger for glory that we all have. And I, I'd, I'd say that is a natural instinct. I would even say it is a God-given uh, desire for glory, but it is corrupted when we seek glory for ourselves apart from God. That's the problem. Not that we seek glory, but that we seek glory for ourselves apart from God. And that's a problem that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden and the lie of the serpent. You could be like God. Now, the real irony there, of course, if you remember the story of the Garden of Eden and the first few chapters of Genesis, is that Adam and Eve were created in the image and likeness of God. They were created to be like God in a way that, that reflected His glory and extended His glory throughout the world. They were to be His image in the world. They had the likeness of God, and yet the temptation that Satan brought is, you can be like God without God. That was, that was the real problem. That was the sin. You could say no to God and get everything that you wanted, glory for yourselves without Him. That's sin. It started, started back in Adam's day at the dawn of human history. It, it continued in Jeremiah's day some 600 years before Christ, and it is going like crazy today. Is it not? Unlike uh, here, here's one example. Think about how in, in ancient and medieval times, um, for the most part, there was not upward mobility. Now, th- th- this is a br- very broad historical generalization, but you understand that in, for millions upon millions of people down through history, uh, you really didn't have a lot of choice in life and not a lot of, not a, not a lot of potential for upward mobility. You were expected to do um, the job that your parents had, uh, the vocation that your uh, the trade that maybe your father had, and to be a, a, a mother and a homemaker like your mom. That's that was kind of that's what millions upon millions of people that was their path in life. Um, and and you didn't you didn't have you you your marriage uh, the, your spouse was likely chosen for you. Um, you didn't have a lot of choice in any of those things. But now we live in a modern world with, with a great deal of wonderful freedoms. Hear me say that, wonderful freedoms. But with all those freedoms to be whoever you want to be, to go wherever you want to go, to, to live wherever you want to live, to, do the, to pursue the career that, that matches your dreams and to pick uh, among all the people of the world find, to find your one true love with all those choices and options and, and the possibility of, of upward mobility Sometimes the, the pressures have not, the, the, the freedom has not re- relieved pressure, but has created different ones. Because we're all pursuing, so many people in our world are pursuing a glory apart from God. And if we feel like, okay, um, I'm just, I want to be among the, the wise, the mighty, and the rich, and, and I, I want to be something, and so I've got to pursue that. I've got to 
press on. I've got to work uh, all kinds of hours. I've, I've got to be, make myself a little bit better than I was before. I've got to make myself a little bit better than everybody else around me. So the, the beautiful thing, any one of us can, with, uh, with skill and talent and determination and hard work and get an education, start a business and become president. Anyone can become president. Not, if, not that you might want the job, but you, you could do that. But the negative side is that we're all afraid of being ignored. We're all afraid of falling behind. We're all afraid of, that if, that, of having to admit that I'm not as significant as others around me and, and, the, and I'm doing this boasting to make sure that I matter, that somebody sees me, that, that I have some significance. And that, that's why all the boasting and the pushing and the, the puffing that goes on in our world. And then because we're so desperate to find significance, a glory apart from God, that this boasting can turn even worse. Not just a, uh, like, I'm, I'm seeking attention, but it becomes even worse when it, it turns into something where we, we use what we have, what's good about us, to put other people down. So I, I gotta, the only way for me to elevate myself is to make other people look bad. And then, the, and then that kind of boasting, the, the seeds of it here that we're talking about, can become, uh, turn into the basis for arrogance and then even prejudice, class conflict and resentment and even hatred and violence. Some of that is what we're seeing in our world. So, some of this is at the root of the chaos of our world. Don't we see that all around us? I mean, doesn't it, doesn't it break, it should break our hearts. But instead of Instead of resisting this temptation, we join in the same foolishness. Because if you're not, because we know in, in our climate, in our culture, in our economy, if you're not pushing yourself to the top, you're going to end up on the bottom. That's the way of the world. But there is a better way. Thus, thus says the Lord, let, the, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Resist the temptation to revel in your assets and instead, this is part two, Instead, glory in knowing the one who is supremely good to you. So you want to talk about who's, who's at the top of the food chain? Here's, here's who, who's at the top of the, the ladder? Uh, he, he's the one who's supremely good, and he's supremely good to you, to us, to his people. We're going to explore this in a couple of ways. What's so special about the Lord, and is he the best thing about you? We are constantly being advertised to. Uh, the latest technology, the newest model, the must-haves of 2021, and our, our news feeds are full of celebrities, uh, the, the smart, the beautiful, and the rich. And, and though we may think we're tired of it, may think that we're numb to all of that, what I'm afraid is that we're often numbed to the greater glory of God. That's the real tragedy. So let's think from this text. What's so special about the Lord? Well, we, we've talked about what's, what's good about you. Are you wise, mighty, rich? What's 
so special about the Lord. He, he practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Now, don't, I don't want to skip the fact that he says, I am the Lord. Uh, d- d- don't, don't go too quickly about that, uh, past that. I am who I am, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who makes covenant with his people to do them good, to bless them, who redeemed them out of slavery, to bring them into freedom, to bring them into his blessing in his presence. But, but what is the significance, though, of these three things, of steadfast love, justice, and righteousness? I mean, why not uh, that you know me, the God who is eternal, all-knowing, and invisible, or infinite, or something, I don't know. Or, or for that matter, um, we just t- said uh, those who are wise, mighty, and rich uh, know the God who is all-wise, who, who is all, you know, uh, uh, perfect in wisdom, uh, almighty, perfect in might, and who has riches uh, in, in heaven beyond, uh, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We, he could have said that. So why, why does he say this? These three things have to do with good and faithful leadership. In contrast with the unfaithful leaders that had been uh, of their of their those that were in their ruling class who had forsaken the Lord and had misled the people into sin. Here's just one. Here's just one example in the Bible, a verse that kind of captures all this very uh, clearly. This is uh, Psalm eighty nine fourteen. Righteousness and justice, speaking to the Lord, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. And just Psalm 89, 14, they're the foundation of his throne. So this is, this is the basis for God's good rule of the universe and of his people. The basis of God's throne, of his good administration, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. These three things characterize God's good rule over his people. Now, um, steadfast love, a word that comes up so many times in the Old Testament, his, his unwavering commitment to his people. It's not just his love, not just, uh, uh, and we, I talk about this a lot in, uh, in weddings and, and with uh, couples getting married, we're talking about a covenant here, not merely a contract, and you know, which is cold and and uh, calculating, and not merely you know romantic love, just kind of the mushy gooey love, but a steadfast love, a love, yes, love that is affection, love that is commitment to do the other person good, but it is a steadfast love, it is a committed love, it is a pro- promissory love, it's a promised love, and a love that will stick and stay. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The Lord, in his steadfast love, holds fast to you. He will never forsake you, never abandon you. And as, and as king, he does not use his power to exploit his people, but to bless them. If, you, if you've been hurt by someone uh, or, or some institution that had promised to take care of you that should have that should have followed through on what they said they would do for you well you know why you would want somebody who promises steadfast love how good it would be to know this god 
a God of steadfast love. Justice and righteousness. Now, again, those are like we saw in Psalm 89, 14. Justice and righteousness are often a pair, um, you know, like just like they go together like salt and pepper. I mean, it's just that's they just go together. They commonly travel together in Scripture. Justice and righteousness uh, to describe the right use of authority. And I've described it this way before. Righteousness is, is, is very simply means that God always does what is right. All of his actions, all of his deeds, all of his attitudes, all of his motives, they're, he's, he's just, he's right. Not, not correct, like, I just love to be right. No, right, they're just, he does what's right. Think of all the ways that people do wrong, all the ways that people cut corners and, and cheat and steal and do, it, it's, it's not God. He does what is right un, unwaveringly, consistently. He always does what is right. Justice means that God will make things right. Where there has been some imbalance in the world, some, something is out of, out of kilter, someone has taken advantage of somebody else, God will make things right in the end. He practices justice and righteousness. So, if you, if you hate corruption in government or in mega corporations or in big tech, and you think that people in high places will, oh, they'll just always abuse that position, not God. The, the highest seat of the universe, highest position of power and authority, and he always does what is right. He does not lie. You can trust him without reservation. You don't have to be afraid to trust him. He does not cheat. You don't need to worry that he's ripping you off. If you, if you want to call it ethics or morality or virtue, he practices righteousness. He is righteous. He is good. He is goodness. And, and with all the clamoring for justice that we have today, uh, warranted or unwarranted, all, we, we can't agree right now on who's suffering what injustice and what, what we would have to do as a society, as a people to bring about justice. Well, the problem is, of course, in our culture, we see this, that every time you claim to bring justice for your people, it feels like a power play that really brings justice to my people or, or back and forth. And round and round it goes, but not God. God always works to the end that all will receive what they're due. He understand, He knows the injustices that are true and real, and he, he is working and will work and will bring about the promise of full and final justice. It's not just that he operates with fairness. He will bring final justice. To the victims who look to him, he will be their avenger. And he's bringing his vengeance to the wicked. Bank on it. Look out. Look out, wicked. Look up, suffering. He is just. He is righteous. If you think that people with power will always protect their position rather than doing what is fair and just, not God. He will make things right. And get this. Why does he practice steadfast love, justice, and righteousness? He says, because in these things I delight declares the Lord. This, brothers and sisters, this, this, should, this should make us love the Lord because he loves to do what is right and good. He loves to be steadfast and faithful in his, in his love and his commitment to us. He doesn't do what's right with a, like, okay, I guess I know this is what I have to do. 
I guess I'll, I'll have to do what's right because that's what everybody expects of me, and it's my duty, and you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, cause a scandal or get bad press or things like that. No, you can tell he's good because he loves to do good. He 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 loves us and he's faithful to us. Not because, well, I made I made a promise, I'll get in trouble if I break my vows. No, he loves to be faithful to us in love. He loves to do righteousness and justice. The fact that the Lord. Uh, delights in it? Well, think of it this way. Someone who delights to do evil, they are some kind of sadistic psychopath. Somebody who loves, loves to do what's good. And you say, I love that person. I, I love to watch, uh, you know, yes, uh, some, some of those multi-million dollar athletes, but when you see that, when you catch a moment where they're just having fun, doesn't, don't you like that? I, I do. Uh, you know, it's, sometimes you see them, they're, they're not hustling, they're not working right here, and they're, come on, you're making millions of dollars. And sometimes they're, they're doing their job, that's fine. But sometimes when you see them smile, and they're kidding around, they're having fun, they're like, yeah, I like that guy. You, you see someone who loves what they do, whether in sports or, or just their job. Somebody who's operating with a good attitude, and you're like, yeah, and we're drawn to that. We should be. The Lord delights in practicing, practicing, not not trying to get better, but just this is what he does. Steadfast love, righteousness, and justice, justice and righteousness in the earth. The fact that the Lord practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness, not in some faraway heavenly realm, but in the earth means that it is an indictment for all of the self-protecting and self-promoting ruling class, and he is the hope of all people of all people who look to the, him as their king. That what, that's what makes the Lord so special, and that's how we fit in the picture. Do you see here? There's still a place for us in the story. Because God does not say, don't boast about yourself. I'm the only one that has a right to boast. Don't boast about yourself. Just worship me. Just celebrate me. He could say that. And, and frankly, in many parts of Scripture, he does say that. You know, worship me, adore, give God the glory he deserves. But that's not what this passage says. He says, don't boast in these things that seem to make you something special, that might set you apart. The best thing about you is understanding and knowing me. Understanding what we've been trying to do here, just even as we've reflected on what does it mean for God to, to practice steadfast love and justice and righteousness, getting to understand all that that means for us and to know him, to, to know his love, not just as a concept, I can define what steadfast love means, but I have experienced and I am blessed by his steadfast love. My hope is in the justice that God will bring. I can't just explain biblical justice and eschatological justice in the end times. I my hope is the justice that Jesus will bring and the righteousness that he will give to me. But I'm getting ahead of the story. He says, don't boast in these things that seem to make you special. Boast in the fact that you know me. Boast in that. So let's, let's celebrate that. Let's make a big deal about that. And so the last question here is really this. Is he the best thing about you? And I'm talking about you personally, not just kind of you. I've just, I can't take the time to point at each one of you, but you personally, is he the best thing about you? Is he your boast? 
I'm not, see, you see the difference? I'm not asking you just, do you believe in God or even have you trusted in Jesus? Is the Lord your boast? That's something we need to take from, from here. Here's the beauty of these two verses and the hope for everyone. And I do mean everyone. The wise and the mighty and the rich are not automatically condemned or excluded. Just because they have some advantages or privilege or their assets that make them something, I don't know, a big deal, they're not excluded. They're just called to a different boast. They're called to a different boast. And if you're here today and you are very gifted, praise God. If you're very gifted, praise God. If you're good with numbers or if you've got a knack for soccer or if you're, if you're in line to inherit the family business or, you know, and, and just maybe, just who knows, just maybe there might be a young person here today who is destined for the Ivy League or to go in the first round of the draft or make their first million before they're 30. Hey, man, that, I'll be thrilled. Boys, um, it'd be, that'd be awesome. Uh, that'd be great. So it, it may, maybe we have it. So hear me say, this is we're not downplaying gifts and abilities to, to be humble. Um, whatever God gives you, great or small, use it for His glory and the good of other people. Lean into your strengths, your gifts, but don't make them your boast. They might, those things in, in some sense might be, again, in the world's eyes, the best thing about you. We're not saying they're not good. We're not saying they're not, they, you, can't, uh, you can't celebrate them and lean into them and use them, but they are not your boast. You understand? Boast in the Lord and bless other people. If you boast in yourself, you will almost, you, you will, it'll be so hard, if not impossible, for you to bless other people. Do you get that? That's why we said earlier, if you're boasting in what, what, what you think makes you special, it's, a, it's just a short road to class conflict and, and resent prejudice and arrogance and resentment and hatred and violence. It just, it just, that's where it goes if you go far enough. You tease that out. Boast in, I'm going to push myself up. Boast in the Lord and use the gifts he's given you to bless other people. And then we have community. Then we have family. Then we have fellowship. On the other hand, if you're, uh, we, we said if you have those gifts, you're not excluded. You just need to make the Lord your boast. But here's the thing. I want to say this. This also means if, if what is your boast is not your wisdom or your might or your riches, do you see how that opens the door for any of us? Everyone? Not just those who have particular gifts or abilities or assets or resources? Folks, this is for everybody. The, if the Lord is our boast, then we can all get in. We can all matter. We can all have significance. It's not just if I have something I can point to and say, you know, I'm really good at that. Or I've got more of this than most people do. You don't have to. You may be here today and you're like, I'm not, not really very book smart and nobody's ever called me a physical specimen and you know, I'm just living from paycheck to paycheck and just a social security check at that. If you know the Lord, 
then you have as good a boast as anyone. If you know the Lord, you have as good a boast as anyone. Not, not in the world system, of course, I, I, I get that. But in God's economy, you have as good a boast as anyone. And that should be, that should be reflected in the life of this body. If we say the Lord is our boast, if that's what is true of us as a community, as a family, as a fellowship, then there shouldn't be anyone who gets preferential treatment or, or the best seat or the, uh, you know, just handle, handled by the pastor a little bit uh, nicer than other people because the Lord's our boast. Then he's the best thing about all of us. And the differences don't matter. I mean, they, they do in the sense of you should use your gifts and, and God's made you unique and special. And, and, and together, when we take all of the gifts and the special ways that he's made you special, that, that when we put all those together, then we do have a healthy, thriving body of believers, a healthy, growing family of faith. So those differences matter, yes, but not that makes you more important than anybody else, more an object of God's love, more a, a beneficiary of his mercy, not at all. Do you know the Lord? Because if, if you just see it the way the world does, you, you could look at yourself and if you don't see something that, that makes you feel good about yourself, something that, that feels like you, you can't put this uh, on, on your resume or your Instagram feed, you have nothing to show, you could feel worthless and hopeless. But do you know the Lord? Do you know how he came to save his people out of sin? Do you know how when sinners like us were flaunting our wisdom and our power and our riches that Jesus humbled himself and became seemingly foolishness, became weak, became poor, so that the passage that we read earlier, Angie read for us, so that he could become the wisdom and power and blessing of God for us. How? By on the cross that his righteousness might become ours so that one day he might come and bring final justice. Isaiah 16:5 says, and a throne and then a throne will be established in steadfast love. And on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. One day there will be a throne and he will practice steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. Because in those things, Jesus delights. He is our faithful prophet, priest, and king. He is the good shepherd of the sheep. And his coming kingdom will be characterized by all those things because those are his delight. And when those, he practices all that he delights in, we will delight in him in ways that we have never only tasted on this side. Do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord? When, Pat, when uh, also Angie read from Paul, 1 Corinthians 1, that in the life of the church, not many, there are not many wise, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. It does leave room for some. I mean, it's always true. The, the really elite, there's just a handful 
but there are some in the church, and if they will humble themselves, the door is open for the wise and the rich and the mighty to come and humble themselves and receive God's grace. And there is, and, and the same passage, that God loves to call the weak to shame the strong. And in the end, what's the result? So that no one may boast before him, but instead of boasting in ourselves, we will boast in the Lord. May that be true of us as a church together. So if you know the Lord, if you do, if you say, yes, I, I want, I'm coming to know and understand him, and, and hopefully just even the time we've spent in these two verses will make us appreciate that, okay, knowing the Lord just kind of, and, and getting to know him and knowing how good he is, there's, we, got, we all have room to grow there. And this week, instead of making a big deal about yourself, instead of maybe pushing yourself, uh, uh, pumping yourself up a little bit, take the opportunity to, to boast about the best thing about you, which is knowing, understanding and knowing the Lord. Resist the temptation to revel in your assets. Instead, glory in knowing the one who is supremely good to you. He's the best thing about you. Let's pray. Father, I pray not simply for a humility, which I'm sure we, oh, sure we all need, uh, a humility that, that causes us not to, to promote ourselves in all the ways that we love to do that. But I, I pray for more than humility. We, we want to uh, just to celebrate to exalt, to lift up you. Personal humility is not enough. We need a, a, a boasting in the Lord. And I pray that, that you'd give us the words to do that and the ways to do that in ways that are not um, are not rude or harsh but to, to, in a beautiful, winsome way, to let others know how good you are. God, we need to, you need to impress upon us how good you are and how much we need you, this world needs you. Give us that vision. May you be our boast, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?